0: Hey, 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 and a warm welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 543. My name is Minter Dial, and I'm your host for this podcast, I'm a very proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on this network, go over and visit evergreenpodcasts.com. So, this week's interview is with Paul Skinner. Paul is an entrepreneur with a marketing flair. He's founder and director of the Agency of the Future. He founded and runs Marketing Kind. And he has also written two books, The Collaborative Advantage, and most recently, The Purpose Upgrade. Change your business to save the world. Change the world to save your business. Published by Little Brown Book Group. In this conversation with Paul, we dive into what purpose is and means, how to approach creating a purpose that drives greater value and growth, the purpose business case, what does it mean to upgrade your purpose, the notion of what constitutes better in making the world a better place, and a whole lot more. You'll find all the show notes on MinterDial.com. And if you have a moment, I urge you to go over and drop in a little rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Paul Skinner. Who'd have thought? We've known each other a few years. Um, Can't say it was a sustained relationship throughout that, but we rediscovered one another at the Business Book Awards, where your last book was a finalist uh, for the 2023 uh, business Book Awards, and um, great to connect with you again and to have you on my show. Love to dig in on who you are and what you do, Paul. In your own words, who's Paul Skinner?
1: Yeah, and um, and of course, I just wanted to start by saying this is such a special moment for me. You were inadvertently one of the people who modelled for me the possibility that you could conceive of a type of marketing that you could pursue as a a vocation um, and that went on to have a, a lot of implications and it's always a a fun moment to reconnect with somebody who intentionally or accidentally had an influence over you years later a bit like going back to a, a university reunion or something and comparing stories since then. Um, That's
0: most kind to say that.
1: It was um, uh, uh, in terms of how the story's unfolded since and where I've taken that, well, I guess one of the things that that you and some of the people around you had modelled was the sense that um, a brand or a marketing narrative could contain at its heart a bit of a worldview, a way of understanding and reading the world around us that foregrounded certain possibilities over others, for example. Um, and I guess the the Paul Skinner of today has taken that suggestion and run quite far with it. Um, so everything I do really is around um, the narratives that guide how we live and work and what the possibilities available to us are and how we might elevate those narratives and change them for the better. So I have three hats that that might be of int- primary interest to the, the people who watch or listen to your show. Um, First of all, I run the agency of the future, through which I support uh, clients, leadership teams in um, selecting, defining and mobilizing around purpose outside as well as inside the organization. Um, Secondly, I I write my my books, um, which hopefully make my ideas useful to a a broader audience. I have a couple of them behind me. So um, my first book came out in 2018, Collaborative Advantage, How Collaboration Beats Competition as a Strategy for Success. And in that book, I sought to recognize that the nature of the problems that we were primarily facing in business was that there were problems that we couldn't best solve on our own, but had to solve them through our relationships with others uh, by forging a purpose that could be shared. And so I developed a, a model of collaborative advantage that sits as a fundamental alternative to the conventional goal of creating competitive advantage. And then more recently in the autumn, my book, an audio book for people who like to listen, The Purpose Upgrade, Change Your Business to Save the World, Change the World to Save Your Business, came out. Um, and in that book, I sort of sought to recognize that in the intervening uh, four years, the nature of our problems is that they have not only remained interconnected and interdependent, but possibly become um, a good deal more serious. Um, And so in that book, I seek to help us explore ways to elevate our purpose, to make our purpose more adaptive to better fit the changing needs and problems of the circumstances and operating environments we face. And then perhaps of greatest interest to your uh, audience, um, I've also founded a, a non-profit membership community called Marketing Kind, where we believe that the world's most pressing problems depend even more fundamentally for their resolution on human cooperation than they do on, say, technology or finance alone, and that therefore we can choose to read them Um, as marketing briefs in disguise, particularly if we have uh, this sense of what marketing can be used to achieve. Um, And so at Marketing Kind, we come together uh, every month to upcycle our business and marketing skills in support of a different pioneering charity or social enterprise, We coach and support each other in becoming more purposeful, systemic leaders in the day job through our Your Marketing Kind and our digital fireside gatherings. And of course, we were lucky to have you uh, in one of those just recently looking at how AI might make us more human. Um, And then we have our exchanges through which we explore some of the bigger stories that uh, define how we live and work and how we might change those stories for the better. just looked at changing the story of democracy with our guest Andy Burnham, Mayor of Manchester, for example. Um, and in the in the 20 in the uh in in the new year in 2024, we have plenty of things for uh people to look forward to if they'd like to participate in ambitious conversations.
0: Well, well, well. A lot to unpack. And as if that weren't enough, um, I was devouring your LinkedIn profile. And I also (laughs) raised my eyebrow heavily when I noticed Pimp My Cause that
1: is ongoing as well. Tell me about Pimp My Cause. Okay. So um, Pimp My Cause is a free matching platform that can can enable any marketer to connect with a charity or social enterprise to offer their uh, marketing skills in support of that charity or social enterprise. So um, I created that um, well over a decade ago now. Um, and I maintain it through Marketing Kind, but it is a volunteering platform that is available to everyone, not just Marketing Kind members. Um, so it's sort of the online dating of pro bono marketing. Um, and when I launched it, pro bono essentially meant pro bono law um pro bono week in the uk was run entirely by law firms um at the time it wasn't easy if you were not a lawyer to identify opportunities where you could take the skills that you were developing in a commercial context and apply them um for profit you know to, as as a, as an additional activity um and so Pimp my course has been running ever since um, I think we've seen quite a transformation in the intervening years, in that now you know there are so many ways that people can connect with good causes to offer their pro bono support. You can, I think, there's a Guardian listing, there's LinkedIn volunteering. You know, pro bono is widely accepted to be not just for for lawyers, um, and you know, tapping back into our uh, power of marketing conversation. Um, I remember before launching my cause. Um, uh, going to an event where that was all around volunteering where the organization hosting the event with hundreds of participants was saying well if you could have support from any department in a business which department would you choose and almost everybody chose marketing as the kind of support that they would want, and so the the name "print my cause" of course gives you know in a sense in the film industry you've got something called high concept pitching, um, where you compress an idea. Uh, into a really tiny space uh, when it's something people haven't come across before and often pitched one thing in terms of another. So Speed, for example, was pitched to investors as diehard on a bus, and it just gave them in one and a half seconds a way to think of what it is that was being proposed to them, given that when you're pitching a film, you're you're literally pitching something that does not exist until the investment comes in. And so Pimp My Cause was the sort of the Pimp My Ride of charity marketing, which Um, gave the causes a sense that they could access a world of marketing that would have usually been well beyond their budgets, uh, particularly given how budgets are skewed in the charity world so that the vast majority of charities have the the tiniest uh, levels of funding. Um, And for the marketers, it gave marketers um, in a commercial role, maybe they were working full-time client-side on a detergent brand for example and that gave them a, a, a useful but also a bit of a narrow focus on life and so being able to um, put in some extra time working on human rights working on international development working on raising the profile of particular Um, uh, illnesses that were not very well known, um, helping protect young people from the influence of uh, gang violence, knives and so on. Um, All of these opportunities have been very exciting to marketers uh, over the years. Um, And some of the experiences of, of running that platform, of course, led into, you know, the thinking in my books and the creation of, of Marketing Kind, where we take a, a much more systemic approach now that in the, you know, in that intervening period, far more organisations have got to grips with the fact that they need to also contribute something useful through the day job and through their commercial brands, and that our different worlds are just coming so much closer together that the business world needs to learn a lot about social issues from the kinds of organisations our marketers were supporting, um, just as those organisations need to get much better in terms of uh, their innovation, um, redefining how they engage with their stakeholders and bringing some of the creativity of marketing to bear in improving um, their stakeholder outcomes. Fascinating, really, Paul. It sounds like at some level Pimp
0: My Cause is about facilitating a side hustle or some kind of greater fulfillment alongside your day job, whereas marketing kind is making the side hustle the, the main hustle and, and allowing for a uh, kinder or more um, fulfilling job uh, on the job.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it.
0: Yeah, so um, let's just uh, talk a little bit more uh, when, when, about you. When you say on your LinkedIn profile, I work on changing the stories we live and work uh, for the better, work by for the better. Mm. Um, I, one of the things I've, I've often liked to look into is what does better mean? Let's say if I start with, you know, let's do a better marketing campaign. Well, typically that's about higher conversion rates and um, make the world better. Well, that inevitably has a personal or a subjective skew because yeah. how how are we to know what is better? And And I feel like in today's world, maybe part of what you were talking about when you said that there have been so many changes in the way businesses have to operate, how do we qualify better today?
1: Yeah, and, and of course, um, there isn't a single perfect answer to that question. I mean, you can't you can't science can't tell us if there is a meaning of life. At the same time, as humans, we can't help but live lives of meaning, <laughs> because it's meaning that we use to map the world around us and to plan our journeys to better. So, you know, maybe maybe I'll start if it's not too philosophical with an evolutionary perspective. Um, so our our brains first evolved, it turns out, to enable movement with intentionality. Um, now other species also evolve brains. Um and we can't necessarily move better than all other species. I mean, the Swift, for example, can fly for several months uninterrupted by eating insects on the wing, by bathing in the rain um, and by sleeping without landing. Um, so we can't necessarily out-navigate or out-manoeuvre other species. But as humans, um, you know, if, if if you want to move with intentionality, you need to know where you are, where you've been, where you could get to. And as humans, our our human cognition enables us to conceptualize that as our past, our present, and our future uh, in quite flexible ways. Um, If you work for the Office of National Statistics, for example, then even the past can turn out to be a surprisingly unpredictable place. Um, And then our human language enables us to narrate those concepts as the beginnings, middles, and ends of our stories. And almost anything we ever say is gonna have one of those components to it, you know, the past, the present or the future. Um, And so uh, we can't help but live lives of meaning. And it's that meaning that enables us not just to to pursue more ambitious literal pathways, but to navigate more ambitious sort of journeys through life than any other species. And is ultimately why as humans, unlike other species, we haven't just evolved as magnificent as that is, um, but have also been able to develop from, from generation to generation in ways that have so spectacularly accelerated over approximately the last three human uh, lifespans. Um, and of course, I think as your question implies, any story has a shadow. Uh, every human story will reveal itself to be imperfect. You know, when grown ups tell stories to children, they often end them happily ever after. Um, I haven't come across one of those stories yet in in real life. Um, But the stories that children often tell adults often end with the line, and I woke up and it was all just a dream. Um, Now, I'm not saying that all our stories are just dreams, but um, most of our stories end up having a shadow side, which means that we can't be too fixed and rigid in our pursuit of purpose, but need to be able to adapt it um, as we go. Um, in a sense, I've often thought maybe in a sense, Shakespeare was wrong, Um, in the sense that uh, to be or not to be is not really our question. We didn't choose to be born, and we can't at least yet choose not to die. The real question isn't whether to live, but where to go with our lives. Uh, And better is, at any point in time, our story of the better that we choose to pursue, the better that we invite other people to step inside of. Um, while recognising that as a human narrative, we will never have the ultimate definitive answer. And any philosophy that tells us there is an ultimate definitive answer usually ends up in something really unpleasant.
0: Well, it, it I think uh, worthwhile talking about all's well that ends well. <laughs> Another Shakespearean play. Um, great stuff. Well, in, in just a for, for people who are intrigued by Marketing Kind, uh, tell us a little bit more how that works and, and how can people join in?
1: Yeah, so it's a, a membership community. Um, people can find out about membership and access a complimentary first month of membership if they would like to at marketingkind.org. Um, If people would like to sign up their whole team, then corporate memberships are also available. And we have a variety of activity streams. Um, So first of all, people can create a portfolio of their own direct social and environmental impacts um, through our monthly Coffee with a Cause gatherings, where they'll get to work firsthand in a small group with usually the pioneering founder of an inspiring charity or social enterprise and support them in elevating their growth strategy. Um, we usually have working groups that follow for people who want to roll up their sleeves and particularly support that um, individual cause Um, we give people the chance to become better more purposeful, more systemic leaders in the day jobs by coaching each other in in, um, uh, adapting around some of our our best ideas whether it's fostering a portfolio of extracurricular interests whether it is um looking at how writing a book can change your view of the world um whether it's getting to grips with how we can harness ai in a positive way rather than a negative way um and then of course they can participate in hosting in working with some of their heroes through our exchanges so in our exchanges we've looked at how marketing can improve the world with Seth Godin we've looked at how we can forge a um, a path to climate compatible living with the um, environmentalist Mike Berners Lee. We've reimagined capitalism with the Harvard economist Rebecca Henderson. Um, I mentioned before we've explored how we can change the story of democracy with Andy Burnham, Mayor of Manchester. Um, in the new year, we're looking to look at how migration could be the overlooked route to more sustainable living um, with um, Gail Vince. Um, we'll be exploring how to be more solution oriented, faced with today's sustainability problems with Solitaire Townsend, and be looking at how we can stop messing things up and hopefully point um, public life in a better direction with the economist, Will Hutton. Um, So a a whole range of exciting things for people to get involved with at marketingkind.org.
0: Fabulous stuff. Definitely tackling some uh, large topics, Paul. and very inspiring in that way. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about your book, uh, which I have in front of me. Here we go. Uh, and it's it's got a really fascinating title, The Purpose Upgrade, and then the subtitle split into two, uh, like a before and after almost, Change Your Business to Save the World, Change the World to Save Your Business. The whole thing orients around purpose. So Let's say that that's not a, an uncommon topic on our, on my podcast. No. Uh, and, and yet I think it's an uncommon topic, properly speaking, in boardrooms and in companies. Uh, it, it's still a, a vague term. So what is purpose
1: and can profit be a purpose, Paul? Um, yes, of course, of course, um, of course it can. So, purpose, so let's separate it out. So, purpose, first of all, is a story of better that we choose to pursue, that we invite others to participate in. And that might relate to something um, small, but in this case, significant. So, my purpose this morning is to have a stimulating conversation with you. Um, Or it might be something bigger. It might be, you know, this is how I conceive of my vocation for the next several decades. Um, In organisational life, you can have corporate purpose, which is often taken to be the reason why an organisation exists. Um, But of course, I think uh, we need to understand that purpose alongside the purposes Uh, encoded in the stories of all of our stakeholders every day so we're surrounded by different intentionality just as much as we are surrounded by human minds among our among our colleagues among our investors among our customers among our among our partners Um, so purpose is operating in in all of those levels there is a second part of your question which uh, temporarily escapes me Or just can profit be a purpose? Yeah, of course. So um, Milton Friedman famously um, said profit is um, really the exclusive purpose um, of business and the phrase maximizing shareholder value has been associated with him, although it was far more popularized by private equity firms in the in the 1980s. Um, and of course, you can have the intention of pursuing profit. I think it's often helpful to put things back into a human context. Um, so the goal of maximizing profit could be very interesting as an experiment. It could even be... Um, Uh, quite useful if a few businesses took it on. Um, But if you imagine an individual person who subordinated every single decision they ever made to maximizing their self-directed, specifically self-directed financial gain, then of course they would be a psychopath. Um, And there are some uh, limitations to maximizing shareholder value. I wanna cut a little bit of slack to Milton Friedman in the first instance in that he developed this idea in the 1960s around the time that competitive advantage was becoming popular as a concept. And it was specifically to solve what was beginning to accrue as the so-called agency problem, whereby businesses were becoming more globalised and there was a far greater distance between investors in a business and the leaders of those businesses. So how do you align their interests so that the leaders of the business are not just empire building, but are actually doing something that's going to be useful to, to shareholders? And so I think Friedman's Um, views, his doctrine, um, was smart, it was simple, it was clear, and it was responding to a problem uh, of his times. Um, But there are real limitations. Um, First of all, uh, the goal of maximising shareholder value does nothing to tell an individual leader for their enterprise in their context how to go about maximising profit. So it doesn't have a, a, a narrative Guidance to it that can take us in a in a fruitful direction. Um, in practice, maximizing shareholder value has been linked to the creation of uh, negative externalities, which have become truly devastating on a global scale. Um, so there is a a, a huge uh, weakness there. Um, and circumstances change. You know, purpose is an affordance of the environment. You know, purpose is partly about the paths available to us to pursue in changing circumstances. And so I think we need to think far more adaptively about purpose, far more dynamically about purpose. And in my book, I develop uh, an understanding of purpose as our most adaptive capacity as humans, uh, therefore harnessable as our most renewable resource for enterprise. And that specifically in relation to your first question, because there isn't a happily ever after story, um, you know, we can only apprehend the world on a probabilistic basis. And yet our decisions are frequently binary. Um, and so a purpose upgrade can be an always available event. Always available because the world is not gonna stop changing. So our optimal pathway will always be uh, fluid. But an event, because many of our necessary decisions um, require us to develop a fixed view at a particular point in time. I mean, today, for example, you know, we agreed to this conversation. I imagine because we both thought the probability is that it would be a fertile conversation, um, but it wasn't one that we could know in advance with certainty to be the case. You could have turned out to be a complete bully on your show, only for me uh, and not for any of your prior guests. It's at least. Theoretically plausible. Um, and so make the decision to do the show on the basis of uh probabilistic inference.
0: Mm. Do you love news about LinkedIn, indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. So I I, I I, have a thought that I have been writing about over the last uh, decade, which is a scale of purpose mm. such that there are some purposes that are big and that are some purposes that are rather prosaic as in, well, we, we need to survive and that's our purpose. And, and that seems like a, an honorable purpose. Cause if you aren't surviving, then you serve no purpose whatsoever. And yet it feels like a very sort of base starting point. And then there might be a purpose to do something a little bit bigger, maybe yeah. Uh, whether it's personally or come you know for a company that's beyond just you and your own financial bank account. It could be your family's bank accounts. So that's bigger than me. I'm trying to help my family. Well, who is my family? Maybe my family is my community and 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 so on. So we could go on the way up to saving uh, the the planet, world poverty and so on. And it feels like the the Milton Friedman approach is a little bit of a clipping of the wings Mm. of that scale to the extent we must remember to still be profitable Mm. to exist to define a purpose yeah Yeah, think about that
1: I I think that is right I mean in a sense another aim in the book you know for so since adam smith wrote the wealth of nations you know classical economic thinking has suggested that if we pursue self directed benefits first we're meant to end up with a collective good as the happy byproduct. You know, and increasingly people have quipped in recent years that maybe Adam Smith's hand was invisible because it wasn't really there. Um, but I think that first of all, you're right that in different circumstances our intentionality is is different, you know, in a in a in a plane crash the advice is or if if for any circumstances you know the the masks drop down on a plane the advice is to to breathe first and then help the person next to you because if you're dead you're not going to help the person next to you and so i think that what you're saying makes absolute sense and you know Mas- maslow's hierarchy of needs is not unidirectional you know as your circumstances change you may as a as an individual human place yourself a, in a different uh place up and down that that scale um but reason and evidence suggests that actually uh by and large in enterprise if we take smith's logic and turn it upside down and instead seek um to benefit others first we can then derive our own self-directed rewards as our share of the far greater overall not wealth of change, uh, not wealth of nations, but wealth of change that making an enterprise a channel for something bigger than itself can unlock. And I think you know part of the rationale for that would go back to my first book in that um, uh, strategy has been led since the 1960s by finance and has looked at an enclosed view of the firm and looked at the resources you own, manage and control to create a competitive advantage. Um, but actually, a, a business doesn't deliver value to the world of pathetically grateful consumers whose only role is to diminish the supply of whatever resource you're pumping into them. But actually, you know, our customers create more value than we do. And if we're having the conversation in Starbucks, the economist might say it was the barista, the franchisee, the landlord or the brand creating most value. But I'd say it's the customers, because the draw for me would be the conversation with you and the warm brown liquid that goes with it would be pretty ancillary. So our customers probably create the most value of all at any point in time. But humans are not just resources. Um, They're colleagues bringing their talent and discretionary effort to bear. Um, Partners don't have to just be suppliers delivering to a contract, but can co-create a future with us. Um, Investors don't just have to be walking checkbooks, but can help us live up to that future. You know, there's no such thing as the abstract notion of a market. If you can tell me where the market for soft drinks is, I'd be interested. Um, But we do have communities that make uh, doing business worthwhile. We have a, a shared home that makes doing business possible in the first place. And so if we see a business as, a nexus, not just a contractual nexus, but an, an enabling mechanism, enabling all of these stakeholder value uh, stakeholders to better fulfil their lives. Um, then we'll we'll end up with more success ourselves uh, 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 as a byproduct, and I'd say that that can take place in you know in difficult, turbulent times as much as it can take place uh, in good times. In fact. I would probably argue that in turbulent times, it's, it's turbulent times that require enterprise to be most purposeful in the first place. It's the very fact that we have very serious problems to solve that we need to think about uh, business that is contributing to being the solution rather than rather than the problem. Um, Paul M. Mazur, I think it was in 1927, the Wall Street banker wrote in the Harvard Business Review that we needed to go from um, a culture of business that... Um, focused on needs to a culture of business that focused on desires. And you could say that the whole marketing profession and consumerism was born from that kind of observation. Um, I'd say that today, as our problems become more serious, we almost need to turn that upside down and transition marketing from being about making the attractive necessary (laughs) instead to about making the necessary attractive And the businesses that will thrive will be businesses that are genuinely useful to their stakeholders and that warrant the support of all their stakeholders um, because they are bringing a net contribution to life as we know it. Whether that's a serious one, a trivial one, uh, whatever the tone of it may be, um, but making a useful and valid contribution rather than an extraction. a a lot
0: there to unpack Paul really interesting stuff I mean it it, this notion of of going from needs to desire and now going back from desire back to needs it kind of feels like the reversing of Maslow's pyramid all over again and uh and I I, as I was listening just sort of a couple of comments and yeah we'll move along but um the Starbucks I always thought about Starbucks and and I've had the chance to chat with um the former uh, CEO and and still chairman, Schultz, uh, on Starbucks. And and my feeling was Starbucks and and brand marketers and and brand thinkers could also maybe use this as some sort of stimulation, which is that Starbucks isn't about selling coffee. It's about creating a safe, regular place for people, especially women, to convene. And, uh, and, and therefore, the, the concept is what brings the value there somehow. The, everyone participates in making it a safe place, including the location that you put it, the baristas who are there, and of course, the, the customers who participate. But, um, and then the other thing, the other idea is where is a the market? Uh, there's no locus uh, for the market. And, and I was thinking in, in soft drinks, well, I think it's in the bubble, um, but then that's that's just for humor's sake. I want to go back to this idea of malleable. Oh, go ahead.
1: Just pick up on the bubble, if you mean it in a literal sense, um, because um, I often, in uh, when I was talking about my first book, use the example of, a, of Coke in that um, when you take a bottle of Coke um, and you carbonate it, um, you don't change the flavor uh, you don't make it easier to digest and you certainly don't make it more nutritious, but what you do is you make it considerably more obvious when you go to the fridge, come back to your desk and you open it and you get the <sighs> sound and suddenly everyone all around you who was completely fine and working happily until that moment is suddenly thinking, oh yeah, I could really fancy a Coke. Um, and so it just an example of how, A customer can actually be a far greater influence in terms of product adoption on the people around them, just through their modelled behaviour and making that more tangible and visible. Um, So I think you're right, and and on Starbucks, of course, that's a a legendary uh, strategy. Um, And I think you know one of the questions is do they go far enough? So in China at the moment, you know Starbucks, there is quite competition with other premium coffees often that are sold not not to say ripoffs which are often sold not with that environment and i just wonder if starbucks could go even further in terms of having more in-store activities for people to participate in a greater uh, level of engagement with their communities but certainly that recognition that what is happening is you're not just pouring something into someone you're creating an environment where they can do the valuable thing because the reason their friend is there is because they are there, not because their cappuccino is fractionally better than the one across the street. Or frappuccino
0: better. <laughs> silly, silly. Um, good stuff. Uh, so going back to this idea of purpose and uh, you write um, that purpose can be as malleable as our imagination. And, and you, you, put a hammer or you you hit uh, this idea of a fixed North Star, a topic that I have much talked about. And uh, this is very interesting for me because I, I often talk about a North Star. I, I think of it as a journey or not as a destination. So inevitably, maybe the malleability is in the approach to the North Star. But I wanted to ask you about this idea of the malleability of purpose, because I think of, for example, values. Uh, which underpin your purpose and uh, ethics, mm. uh, which uh, should also be about your how you do your purpose mm. in terms of establishing good and bad values. Can they change, and 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 how how do you warrant a change of purpose if uh, it's been your sort of guiding principle for a certain amount of time, as you were talking about, like with Starbucks?
1: Yeah. Um, so so I guess there's two questions there in terms of can you change things like values? I mean, you bring to mind a, a, a line by the comedian Groucho Marx, those are my principles. And if you don't like them, I have others. Um, and I think we have a natural sense of if values change too quickly, then what's going on there. But I would say that You know, every aspect of an enterprise is susceptible to upgrade. I mean, we've seen in Patagonia upgrade its ownership in terms of making it owned by a fund for nature. Um, A startup might upgrade its ownership by giving a stake to somebody who is very highly trusted and highly regarded in that industry. Um, And in terms of values and principles, um, to say that they're locked in stone, I would say would be the antithesis of a growth mindset. I mean, I have no doubt that the values you have to Damon have evolved since when I, I briefly uh, got to cross your path in, in my L'Oreal days. Um, I'm sure they're different to when you were at school and I am fairly sure that you're not finished yet. And that when you look back on your life as a whole and maybe write your own biography, you um, have um, a biographer's touch already of course, um, then um, you may well have further elevated your your values. And I think of a value as what do you choose over something else? You know, if a value doesn't mean that you value this thing more than you value that thing, um, then it's not really a, a value. Um, and so... Um, I, I think that all of these things are susceptible to improvement. And then you've said, how can you kind of justify it? And I think it's the nature of our changing circumstances um, so, if we take the notion of innovation, for example, you could say if you're good at making suitcases, make the best one you can. If you're making the best one you can, why would you ever change it? And of course, Coca-Cola for a long time, you know, had this sort of internal mantra that new product development is for the lazy marketer. You know, a talented marketer can can keep going with what you've got. Um, and the reason, of course, we learned to innovate was not because it's easy, not because we always get it right, and not not because we always want to, um, but because an environment of change made it necessary to get better at incremental than disruptive innovation. Um, we learned to transform our organizations with the arrival of the internet and digital communications technology and reimagine how we operate as an organization. Um, and in the book, I argue that we may now be entering a new era in the evolution of enterprise adaptation and that we need to adapt, not just at the level of innovation and transformation, but that we are entering a macro environment with so many exogenous variables That is so interconnected in its opportunities and interdependent in its risks that we need to get much better, not just at innovating and transforming, but at fundamentally repurposing our enterprises and simply repurposing individual activity streams within our enterprises to better meet the changing priorities and intentions of 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 our stakeholders on a more frequent basis than 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 and a more profound basis than we might have done previously. So, great. I um, I was
0: wondering. You know, when you look at the the state of of businesses, you're proposing this idea of a purpose upgrade. Mm. And yet there aren't so many examples of companies who truly are succeeding with great purpose. It feels for me as I read your book that there are more examples of negative cases or purpose downgrades, if you will, put in another term. And, and it brings up this idea of how does one argue for a, a having a, a bigger, better purpose in a business case? How, how do you convince some... A private equity owner or some financier shareholder or or some generally just hard-headed uh, business-to-business guy who's here just to make a living, uh, get my widgets uh, through the door so that my store continues to succeed. Hmm. But wh- how do you m- get that activity to move from a place of shareholder business and profits and so on into hmm. a purpose mindset?
1: Yeah, so there's uh, three parts. Um, so first of all, I think in terms of purpose downgrades, I think there are two reasons for that. One is all of uh, a lot of the conceptual thinking, the lenses through which we think about purpose are overly rigid and incomplete and don't give us an adaptive purpose to pursue, which is something we, we could come, come back to. I think secondly, changing circumstances, running a successful organisation is a fragile thing. It can go wrong at any point. And if circumstances change, maintaining an adaptive fit isn't easy. So it's not surprising. Just as you know, human life is sort of biology trying to resist, it's evolution trying to resist the, the, the force of entropy from physics. And similarly, in, in business, it's not easy to run a, a successful, successful business. Um, in terms of making the the business case, um individually we succeed or fail according to our narrative competence you know the how we read a situation how we mobilize the people around us to achieve a shared goal which is beneficial to us and similarly an enterprise an enterprise that has a higher level of narrative competence and brings people on a more ambitious journey of meaning and purpose that means something to them is going to succeed over one that that doesn't and might tell a little story about wild hearts on on that topic um, but i want to just nail the the harder business case which is empirical evidence shows that businesses that create more social value i e create more value for their stakeholders end up being more profitable as a byproduct and the reason for that it turns out is that if a business that is seeking to be useful to its stakeholders is capable of of perceiving a greater range of opportunities to be useful to its stakeholders, a subset of which ends up being both profitable and outside of the vision of an organization that is seeking exclusively to profit maximise. And so, um, by and large, and you know, any business is. we're thinking about probability and activity in the future that can't be guaranteed. But what the evidence shows is that overall, on an average, if we seek to create social value first, we end up being more profitable as a, as a byproduct. And this becomes stronger if we follow three principles, which is, um, and I, these principles come from one of our guests at Marketing Kind, Alex Edmonds, who uh, takes a highly empirical uh, a, approach to, to purpose and has sort of uh, looked at this and, and assembled meta-analysis of um the the um relationship between purpose and profit you know perhaps to a greater degree than anyone else alive um and the three requirements are first of all if you're my stakeholder and i'm going to give you an extra 20 pounds worth of value then that will make me more profitable if a it costs me less than 20 pounds to give you that 20 pounds of value if B that 20 pounds of value is materially relevant to the nature of what I do. Uh, And if C, um, that 20 pounds of value uh, is more, uh, I can give you that 20 pounds of value more effectively myself than if I simply um, uh, ask somebody else to do that for you. So there needs to be a comparative um, advantage. Um, And with those three conditions met, creating more social value, the business case is it will make you more profitable as a byproduct. But you can only do that and get it right if you are genuinely uh, wedded primarily to the purpose and secondarily to, to, to profit. Yeah, this
0: notion of genuine and the pragmatism that therein lies. You
1: did mention a story
0: you wanted to tell us.
1: Oh, so I think this was Wild Hearts. Um, So, um, uh, oh yes, narrative competence. You know, I think that one of the reasons why purposeful enterprises do so well is that they tell a much better story of business. Um, So Mick um, Jackson, uh, Dr. Mick Jackson, is one of our members at Marketing Kind. And he went on a a mountaineering expedition to Broad Peak and K2. um, And uh, he was already a successful entrepreneur. Now on that expedition, um, a young French boy was tragically found dead in the tent ahead of their expedition. Um, a helicopter was sent for, um, and his body was removed from the mountain in a, in a body bag that was sort of suspended from the side of the helicopter. Um, and then a few hours later, the Kashmiri tribesmen leading his expedition um lost consciousness and became uh, ill. Um, by coincidence, the Bulgarian Minister for health uh, was in the expedition behind them and was still a, a practicing doctor and examined him and said that his um, he was able to engage at that point, but he was the the, the Bulgarian minister was able to identify that um, one of his lungs had collapsed and that within a few hours at that altitude he wouldn't be alive. Now, there was no question of a helicopter, Um, and Mick uh, assumed that this was to the uh, authorities, that somehow a dead Westerner was still more valuable than a living tribesman. Um, So the tribesman folded his arms across his chest and was just ready to wait for death. Um, But Mick was not ready for that, and he galvanized the group and they agreed to make the attempt to carry the tribesmen down Um, from memory it took them four days to do it through the biting cold and they were all you know coughing blood by the end of it it was very difficult circumstances Um, but it did end up being life-saving for the tribesmen and and it ended up also being life-changing for for Mick he had a, a Celtic background he had grandparents who had lived very hard lives um, in Ireland and in Glasgow, um, and he felt that in other circumstances, he could have been somebody who was just left to die in the cold. Um, And so he sought to create a different relationship between business and people. He sought to uh, redirect and repurpose his own entrepreneurial endeavors to make them, to put them in the service of alleviating poverty. Um, and so he relaunched his activities as Wild Hearts, beginning with a, a stationary brand, um, as in office stationary, um, but that would he would use to fund uh, microfinance initiatives in developing parts of the world. And you know, he tells his staff even a bad day at the office can save lives, um, and he is able to make pitches to procurement managers the likes of which they've never seen for office stationery. Um, and literally, during the period I wrote uh, the book, he uh, reached and changed over two million lives with those microfinance initiatives. There so, uh, are uh, countries where he effectively owns the largest development bank for the, for that. Um, country in Zambia for example Um, and his activities have spread beyond office stationery and all sorts of exciting ways that people can find out more about in the book or by checking out (laughs) but I think the point there is that you know narrative competence is so important you know in behavior research shows that in many instances we are more drawn to a good life story even than we are to a good life. Because while a good life is a happy outcome, a good life story is a tool that we can use to confer. It confers real adaptive advantage, enables to engage with a group, to have a sense of who we are, to have a sense of what we can offer, to enable cooperation that helps us meet our needs. Um, And so too an enterprise. And I think one of the greatest gifts of an adaptive purpose is that it gives a business a better story to tell not just in its marketing messages, but a better story through which to engage uh, all of its stakeholders um, to achieve something much more interesting and ambitious.
0: Well, great story, Paul. Um, time is running out, but um, it makes me think, you know, with Wild Hearts, uh, it's the first stationary company that is evolutive as in moving. Um, just a play on words. Um, wanted to talk more about storytelling, but, uh, Time is uh, up. Your book is a great read, really inspiring. And and one of the chapters or the parts of it that I really enjoyed the most was the whole piece around storytelling and story editing, which Mm. is a really interesting concept. And I feel like that piece, the story editing piece, is probably the one which is most intriguing and powerful for me. Mm. Why? Because I think that most people's stories that they run in their heads uh, today uh, are lacking in meaning uh, r- rather than, I mean, they may be mean, finding trying for it, but they're not getting it. And so I, I have a particular f- philosophy or thought about that. And what, what companies should be doing is encouraging their employees to find how the story of the company will somehow overlap, in part at least, with the story of the individual. And if you can find an overlap in that story editing, which means you kind of have to be intentionally looking for that as opposed to, oh, my gosh, of course, that's what it is, because it ain't going to come to you like some Thunderbolt. Mm. So uh, I don't know if you want to have a last comment about that before we wrap up.
1: Yeah. I'm, so um, Tim Smith, who... I mean, I think you're in any situation, I mean, so here with framed one way we're having an interesting uh, conversation for the benefit of your audience framed another way what if I had to find something in our conversation that changes my whole future trajectory you know we can approach any situation any dialogue as as you would put it of course um, in that way if you're mentoring somebody what if the most valuable lesson to be learned is what you can learn from the person that you've offered to mentor and support um, in terms of um, professional activity, everybody is seeing themselves through the lens of what they're doing. The question is, how intentional can you be? And so my my closing thought, I'm going to take the idea from Tim Smith, who is one of the endorsers of, of the book. And I, I wrote a little about the Eden Project in the book. Um, and Tim says that he has told me that he doesn't necessarily believe in the Stereotypical marketing message that reduces everything to three words that you consistently repeat ad infinitum, um, but actually has a different take on storytelling, that if you can um, get enough people to believe in something and see themselves as part of that thing and how to make it reality, then you make it possible. Um, he describes that as the Tinkerbell effect. You know, If you can get enough people to believe in it in enough ways, it becomes true. Um, and he, of course, credits the fact that he was able to take a disused quarry in Cornwall and somehow present this as the world's greatest uh, tourist destination in waiting. Um, but he uh, credits the Tinkerbell effect with the fact that, he has been able to do that and Eden project has now brought well over 2.2 billion pounds worth of tourism to to Cornwall and they're replicating it all around the world in really exciting ways so um, stories that there is that notion that we're in a VUCA environment volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous but that implies that there is something there to be understood and what we always have to remember is that the narratives through which we understand things are themselves an intrinsic part of the picture so reality today is there to be negotiated and if we want to live in a better world and whatever that means specifically for us and the people around us we negotiate that through in the broadest sense the the stories that we share with the people around us and how we can reframe them to get better outcomes yeah in the book you talk about the post
0: VUCA world and um Anyway, lots of great things in there, Paul. I'm going to put as many of these as I can in the show notes, the links to Wild Hearts, the Eden Project. And of course, what are the ways that people can reach you and uh, follow your work? Uh, What are the best links? And of course, get your book, The Purpose Upgrade
1: yeah so and you can get um there's still interest in the first one collaborative advantage you can get both of those waterstones amazon most good booksellers and probably most not very good booksellers if you like audiobooks uh you can also find me on audible with the purpose of not narrated by you narrated by me Yeah, they asked me to take that on and i enjoyed the process and learned a lot from the process actually um uh People can find Marketingkind at marketingkind.org and access a complimentary month of membership. Um, our next uh, gathering is looking at using humour to create intentional change, uh, and people can find that. Or if they're not in time, they can find a recording of that with Tom Fishbourne, and there's some very exciting things coming up for next year. People can find my advisory work um at www.theaof.com as in the There is a book website, purposeupgrade.org, and people can find me on LinkedIn or very rarely on Twitter.
0: Formerly known as X- Paul. X. <laughs> X, formerly known as Twitter. The X Twitter. Um <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ha. <laughs> um hey Paul, thank you so much for coming on been a great pleasure to listen to you to learn from you in this conversation i look forward to carrying on
1: wonderful and thank you so much for your support at marketing kind and for letting me on your show after all these years my pleasure
0: so a really heartfelt thanks for listening to this episode of the minter dialogue podcast if you like this show please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast service as ever, ratings and reviews are the real currency of podcasts. And if you're really inspired, I'm accepting donations on patreon.com forward slash You'll find the show notes with over 2100 blog posts on minterdial.com on topics ranging from leadership to branding, tech and marketing tips. Check out my documentary film and books, including the last one, the second edition, of Artificial Empathy Putting Heart into Business and Artificial Intelligence that came out in April 2023. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.